Welcome back to Latter Day Takes, everybody. Thanks for coming back on a Wednesday like today. Weather is getting warmer. People get more excited. Just beautiful, beautiful times in Utah with the with the leaves coming back, the grass getting greener. It's hiking season, everyone. Been looking forward to that for a while. Not that I'm a big hiker by any means, but I, I do enjoy it, getting outside. It's nice. Anyway, on today's episode... I think we got a kind of little fun thing in store for you. So I'm going to go over today's or this week's news. Some pretty big news actually out down the wire that we'll talk about here in a second. Kind of gloss over and I'll give a teaser for the next episode. Um, and then the guest today is Dr. Mike Hansen. Dr. Mike on the mic coming to talk about his experiences. Well, he, he actually has some interesting things to say about diagnosing transgender patients and kind of the complications that exist therein. I mean, it's, it's all valid concerns. And then he gives some fitness tips because he actually participated in some uh, physique competitions back in the day. Very, very much in shape. Does very well in all that stuff in that area of life. And uh, he and I kind of share some other topics. Uh, we, we lived in Lubbock, Texas together for a little bit while he was going to medical school out there and while I was getting my degree in communications. And so anyway, um, going to be a fun episode, I think. And then I sum it up with my own little review of Under the Banner of Heaven, like I talked about last weekend. Sorry, last week. Um, and I'll give my review of the first two episodes that I've already come out and I've already watched. I've got some things to say. I wouldn't say it's anything too crazy, but I think you'll enjoy it. So anyway, with that, we'll go ahead and get going. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the crack dancers. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. All right, this week's news in review for the BYU fans out there. Seneca Knight had tweeted out he was loyal, wasn't going anywhere. That was after Gideon George said he was going to transfer, Caleb Lohner said he was going to transfer, and Gavin Baxter said he was going to transfer. What ended up happening? Gideon George rescinded on his, decided not to go to where he was planning on going, which supposedly was Colorado State. Jake Hatch came on the podcast to talk about that. Caleb Lohner did end up transferring, goes to Baylor. Gavin Baxter transfers go to Utah, which we all knew was coming. That'll be interesting because he's never really played a full season at BYU, so it'll be interesting if he's able to pull that off at the U. Honestly, best of luck to him. Hopefully he does, but anyway... Um, Seneca Knight then tweets out, I'm, I'm here, I'm staying, I'm loyal, la da 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 Gideon George walks back his transfer, doesn't end up going to Colorado State, says, I'm going to stay, and then Seneca Knight ends up transferring like 24 to 48 hours before the deadline for the transfer portal, um, completely flip-flopping on that, which is interesting. And, you know, I did see a tweet out the other day by, by a Texas Tech basketball player, and I, I kind of follow some Texas Tech sports because I went there, obviously, and so... Um, he said something pretty good, actually. He said, you know, he's like, he's kind of like throwing some shade at the fans saying, y'all, y'all, uh, you know, get mad at us for transferring, but yet you ex you accept a transfer to your university with open arms. I think that's kind of fair. I mean, you can't really have it both ways, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm not seeing through this the right way, but in other words, Seneca Knight comes in for a year and then bounces it, it, it is a little bit like, come on, man. Like, you couldn't give it a better shot than that. Like, 
you know, but I guess if he doesn't feel like he's a good hit fit, then he's just not. And so he goes to some place that he might be. Anyway, so Seneca Knight does end up bouncing. Other than that, BYU is just going to try and get as many uh, transfers in that they can because um, they lost some pretty big ones. We'll see how that goes. It may not be as big of an indictment on Coach Mark Pope as we initially thought. If those are the only two that he loses, the two big ones, I should say, with Loner and uh, Baxter, which Baxter may not even be that really big because we didn't think we'd have him back anyway. Losing Loner was a pretty big hit, but maybe he wasn't the right fit, and maybe Pope knew that more than anyone. So we'll see. If they're able to get like the right transfers in, it may all work out. Pope may be back to the, the glory that of being a great coach that he, we once thought he was. Anyway, um, I'm going to share the, the little teaser I want to give real quick that we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to bring back at least Josh Cutler. I've already talked to him about bringing him back on. I had Josh Cutler and his wife, Taylor, on my podcast. It was episode 79, and the title was Roe v. Wade equals a bad decision. And on that episode, Josh and Taylor both went kind of through the precedent for Roe v. Wade. Josh especially, he's very meticulous about these things. He's, he's clerked for a judge before, so he kind of really knows the ins and outs of how that all works. And his philosophy was like, well, it just depends on how you look at it from a judge's perspective. And so it really did look like there was a very big possibility that this reversal was going to take place. Lo and behold, earlier this week on Monday, it broke that there was a leak, which never happens, by the way, so that's a little bit weird in and of itself, from the Supreme Court, one of their clerks allegedly leaked out that the decision is looking very likely that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Huge ramifications for society. My guess is that it will go back to the state, and you'll have state by state being able to determine if abortion is legal there or not. I do not think Republicans will go full stretch and try and make it illegal everywhere in the United States. You never know. Um, but it's, gonna, it's very interesting times. I'm going to bring Josh back. We're going to see if Taylor's going to join us too. Maybe, maybe not. Not sure. At least we'll have Josh and we'll kind of rehash some of that that we talked about in episode 79 last December and go through that a little bit more in detail, kind of what to expect there. It'll be an interesting conversation from somebody that is pretty well connected in that area, knows his stuff, and is a current practicing lawyer along with his wife. Both of them are. Anyway, uh, I want to take a second real quick, tell a kind of a cool story, I thought at least. I've shared it with two other groups of people and so I workshopped it enough I think you'll appreciate it now I've kind of tied up all the loose ends to this story they said they thought it was good so I'm going to share it on the podcast so last Sunday was state conference I got asked to say the prayer the closing prayer at state conference um, which was kind of funny I got a text from the stake executive secretary saying hey can you meet with the stake a member of the stake presidency uh, this Wednesday or whatever it was this was a month ago so I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, okay. I mean, that kind of sounds like a calling, right? But then a member of the state president, I don't, I don't know what that meant. I'm a little bit like spooked. I'm like, okay, what does this entail? I'm planning on moving in the next few months. So I doubt if it was a calling that I'd be able to accept it anyway. I get all dressed up. I go in there, I get there early, just kind of thinking like, all right, what's in store for me? Uh, a member, a counselor in the state presidency, I think the second counselor comes, finds me, brings me into kind of this conference room, sits me down. And he says, hey, Brother Anderson, thank you for coming. We were hoping you could say the closing prayer for this state conference coming up in a month. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and he hands me a letter with that directive on it saying, yeah, we'd love for you to say the closing prayer. I was like, okay, well, you could have just sent me this letter and I could have accepted it then. You could have just sent me a text message. You could have just called me. Instead, I got all dressed up to get asked if I wanted to say the closing prayer in state conference. Okay. 
Sounds good. Anyway, just kind of funny. I really wasn't annoyed. I thought it was more funny than anything. Anyway, so fast forward to state conference, which was just last weekend for me. I show up and I'm there listening. And the last speaker is Elder Michael T. Ringwood. And didn't know much about him. In fact, leading into state conference, I knew he was going to be the general authority, visiting general authority for us. And I went back to his conference talk. I believe he shared either just last month or the October before. It was very recent. And I I watched it. And honestly, it didn't really grab my attention. I mean, it was nice. I could tell he was a very, very nice, soft-spoken, good-hearted man. No question about that. Now, I know you could kind of apply those terms to every general authority, but maybe not. I don't know. I did feel something nice and special about this guy. Nothing in particular. Just kind of like, okay, but maybe the content didn't really speak to me. So I even tried watching it twice didn't really resonate with me either time. And that might be more my fault than anything. Either way, not that it was insignificant. It just didn't really speak to me in certain ways that other talks can sometimes. Make it to the state conference. I hear him speak. And immediately, I'm like, this is good stuff. He actually shares a story of a man named Amaron in the Book of Mormon. From what I understand, there's at least one other Amaron, kind of in the Omni and Jerem part of the Book of Mormon, it was just kind of one of the descendants of Nephi that helped pass on the records. Well, turns out there's another Amaron that's a different descendant from the different set of Nephi's. That's like third Nephi, Helaman, and all that stuff. Amaron, who's actually the brother of Amos, who was a direct descendant of one of the Nephi's, of one of the later Nephi's, hides the records for 15 years. Plays a very significant role that is very minimally emphasized in the Book of Mormon, which is really cool. So in the actual Book of Mormon, so Mormon chapter 1, it talks about Amaron, who is the brother of Amos, who has the records, and he has to hold on to them. He even buries them for 15 years to hold on to them, keep them safe. Is kind of looking around, who am I going to give these to? He's the one that approaches Mormon, and he talks about him a so- being a sober child and quick to observe. And he gives Mormon the records. And it's this beautiful exchange right that you think about this that's this role that amaron played anyway elder ringwood's emphasis was we need more amarons in the church right not everybody's going to be this amazing figure in the book of mormon yeah and that's great to strive to be like them but we need people that are role players that are just good people that are trustworthy that are loyal that love the gospel that'll do anything for it whenever they're called and as he's talking about this i'm remembering a talk that i loved back it would have been back in like 2016 ish roughly while I lived in Texas. And it was a talk on Shiblon. And it was talking about the emphasis of how Shiblon only got like 16, 17 verses sandwiched in between his two brothers. You had Helaman, the next prophet, and then Corianton, the youngest brother, who got the bulk of Alma the Younger's message because he had abandoned the ministry. He had sexual relations with the harlot Isabel, right? Sorry, maybe I shouldn't say harlot as well. I don't know, whatever. Um, And his point was, Shiblon was actually a record keeper. He actually got entrusted with the records. Just kind of one of those, like, amazing. All he needed was 16, 17 verses in the Book of Mormon. Just a good, loyal member. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, that sounds a lot like that talk. And then it dawns on me, who who shared that talk? Because I'm thinking, was it Elder Ringwood? I look it up. While Elder Ringwood is speaking at my state conference, turns out it is Elder Ringwood. And it was awesome. Because I, like, felt this moment. I'm like, holy cow, like, that talk was actually very impactful for me probably one of my favorite talks in the last 10 years 
And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not one of those, like, if I'm going to say a closing prayer in a big session like that, I'm not going to go out of my way to, like, talk to the leaders or anything like that. Just kind of go in and go and leave quietly. Well, I'm like, I have to tell him. So I said the prayer and I kind of search him out. I said hello to the stake patriarch, who's a personal friend of mine, very much like that man, great man. And then I go to Elder Ringwood and I tell him, I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to introduce myself. And I told him that story about how I didn't know that was him. And then I looked it up and I was like, I love that talk, that Shivalon talk. I mean, I appreciated his talk that day as well and complimented on that. But that talk, that Shivalon talk back in like 2016, roughly, really, really resonated with me. And I thanked him for that. And then I had some small conversation with him on the side. Very, very, very nice man. And I understand why he emphasizes these members that maybe not, they may not seem as significant. And I think that's because he carries himself similarly. He doesn't think, I don't need, I, he kind of seems like the type, I don't need to be the center of attention. I just want to love the gospel and do whatever the Lord asks me to do. That is how he carries himself. He seems very kind of introverted. Um, he's an accountant or was an accountant and just very soft-spoken. Really, really had a great experience with Elder Ringwood. Really liked that. Look up that talk on Shiblon. It was fantastic. Loved it. If you happen to look it up, reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Just want to share that. With that, we'll get going to the interview. Dr. Mike Hansen, a buddy of mine, uh, TikTok extraordinaire. He just sends me a lot of TikTok videos that are actually generally pretty funny. Anyway, Mike is awesome. Funny guy, really smart. Had some really interesting things to say about the medical community in general. Also some health and fitness. With that, we'll get into it. All right. Joining me on the pod today is... A long-time listener, if I'm not mistaken, you are the president of the Latter-day Takes fan club. Is that right? You know, uh, I've never gotten that title officially, but I, I'm pretty sure it's implied. Well, let's make it official, man. Okay. No. okay. Uh, in all honesty, uh, joining me is Mike Hansen, an, an old friend from my days in Lubbock, Texas, who he is not from there either. He's an Idaho boy, uh, but he was out there for medical school and is now currently a doctor practicing in Las Vegas. Uh, Mike really has been an amazing support. Like it's been fun to like, have you kind of give feedback and things like that and just always be kind of on the lookout for an episode and have something to say about it here and there. So I always appreciated that Mike, and I'm happy to have you on for a few reasons because I want to get kind of your, some of your medical expertise, some of your takes of things going on right now. And then also one thing that is pretty unique to you was your career I don't know if you want to call it that, but your stint or whatever in the, uh, what do they the call that? Like the world. Yeah. So the body composition thing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. 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 So let me, let me start off there. Uh, so I was a men's physique competitor, uh, before I ever went to medical school. So the last time I stepped on stage, gosh, has got to be about eight years ago now. So maybe I'm not up to date with all the new cool trendy stuff, but the same tricks still, still work more or less, but men's physique, uh, just so those who don't know, there's different categories in bodybuilding. Um, I wasn't the guy who's, you know, muscle on muscle on muscle, just huge, you know, jacked out of his mind. Men's physique is the guys who wear the board shorts and they just look lean, you know, just beach body ready. And that to me was always more aesthetic and more appealing. So I did that a few times. Um, I, I won a few competitions. I got destroyed in a few competitions, but it, it was a fun, fun thing to do. I really enjoy it. And uh, now that, you know, I'm approaching the master's category, which they call, um, you know, anyone over 35, um, maybe I'll step back on stage here in a little bit. We'll see maybe in the next year or two, because I won't have to compete against, you know, 21 year olds. I remember you telling me like what that was like, dude, of when 
you you had you had such a very like I mean strict is putting it lightly even the diet sure. you like didn't have a diet in in other words because you didn't have anything to eat <laughs> like you're starving yourself <laughs> the whole time. rice and broccoli is uh is, is something to eat but you know it's it's funny um I don't want today necessarily to be about that you know um because people see that and they think that's not obtainable and and it really isn't because um how you look on stage you look that way for a few days at max um, because it is not healthy. Maybe you look great on the outside, but you're dehydrated. Your kidney numbers, you know, from the medical side side of things, your kidneys are screaming at you, drink more water. Um, I'm sure your liver's not happy. Your brain certainly isn't happy. You've got the the low carb funk where you everything just takes a minute to process. Um, but that's that shouldn't be most people's goal. And, you know, we live in the the society of Instagram that makes us think that everyone's living that way all the time. They're not, they're absolutely not. It's not maintainable. It's not healthy. Your kidneys would shut down. So are you saying you weren't happy in that process then? <laughs> you know, you're, you're happy because, you know, you, you get on stage and you look great and you get the pictures and you get the trophy and everyone says, you know, amazing and well done. But um, I think on the way home from my, I think it was the second competition um, between the place where I competed to my apartment was probably a 30 minute drive. And I finished a two liter of Dr. Pepper. That's how dehydrated I was. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I hearing about it. that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's not a healthy way to live, but it, it's fun. Um, and, and just like any other goal, you know, you get there and it feels good and it feels, um, amazing and it's fun, but then you have to take a step back and say, okay, where do I want to go from here? What's actually maintainable? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right, Mike. Well, I did want to cover that for sure. Just like that kind of your <laughs> journey and all that, because that is a very unique thing. You don't really, it's becoming more popular, but I haven't met a whole sure, lot of people absolutely. that have competed in that. But um, there was something you wanted, you wanted to bring up a few other things. Uh, but actually, did you... Real quick, did you see the video that I posted of when I was on the ridiculousness episode? I feel like you no. had strong opinions about that. You know, and I, I voted that it was definitely planned. So was it? It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have to admit, I had never even heard of ridiculousness until you said you were on there. So I didn't look. I hadn't either. Yeah. Yeah. That was what was funny about that is that I didn't I had maybe heard of it by the time they had reached out just like here and there, but I never like knew, I never watched a single episode. Um, but when we made that video, I hadn't heard of ridiculousness. Like I never would have watched it. I would have never, I, I had no, no clue what that even was. And then, so then to get approached by that was kind of funny, but yeah, it was planned. We, we actually talked about that in that episode, just kind of, I mean, how, yeah. So full disclaimer, we're recording episode 88 and I have not listened to 87 yet. So I mean, that, that might, you know, take away my title right there. But uh, how, how does that process work? Like who, who the MTV people, you know, slide into your DMs? And I guess some guy that had a job there, like just finding random videos on YouTube. I think he just got paid to just like, like go scour the deep parts of the web to see like what's out there. And I guess it really made him laugh. And so he's like, let me see if I can contact these guys. And what was funny is kind of we broke that down in the episode too. It was just like he didn't know that he was talking to me, the guy that was the victim, so to speak, of the video. He assumed it was the guy filming. <laughs> but nice. We kind of let him believe whatever he wanted because we got money out of it. So I see, I see. So I mean, is this a new career path for you, like MTV? I'm appearances? hoping so. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. That's yeah. fair. 
I mean, I think between the podcast and MTV, like, I mean, I hope I get at least a cut, you know, 1% royalty. Yeah, is all yeah we'll, we'll pitch you in. We'll give you okay, a little slice. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, it was funny last night um, when you were messaging me and you were like, hey, I want to get you on the podcast. There's a thing on iPhone when one iPhone is texting another iPhone, when you can see that you silence their notifications, <laughs> you silenced me like partway through. And oh, so I, I just put my phone on do not disturb, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I'm serious. <laughs> no, like, I, I definitely have not silenced. You know, right. It's like I've had too much of Mike tonight. So I'm just yes. gonna... game over. Game over. Um, no, it was uh, I put my phone on do not disturb when it hits like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And that doesn't mean I'm not on it anymore. Um, it means I don't want to get inter- interrupted basically by like a call, right. like if it's work related or something like that. It's like, I'll see my phone and it's kind of like one of those things where I'll get to the notification when I get to the notification, but I was actively texting you anyway. So, but that's right. funny well, that that happened mid text. I, I mean, here we are, you know, you told me we talk about health and fitness and I think that that's a, a different type of, of health and fitness, you know, uh, the phones, they are addictive and we do, you know, you, you set boundaries and you're happier. You know, I, I listened to a podcaster who mentioned that he goes off the grid every August for the whole month, which to me is crazy, but for the whole that sounds month, fantastic. Right. His job allows him to do that. Most people don't, but you know, you can do, you know, your version of that. You know, I have friends of the Jewish faith who they don't touch their phones from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And I think that's good for mental health. It gives you that um, that cleanse that, you know, we like the word detox these days, you know, it gives you a digital detox. And I think people who can do that and set appropriate boundaries are happier. And those people who, you know, spend all day on TikTok or Instagram or whatnot, or, you know, trying to get onto MTV's ridiculous, uh, they, they're probably, you know, it, it consumes them and it's not mentally healthy. Oh yeah. No, I, and, and with my job and my position specifically, I'm essentially on call 24 seven. And I have to like, I had to take a step back where it's like, you know what, it can't be 24 seven. And so when it gets like a lot of like, I, I have gotten calls from clients at two, three in the morning sometimes. So I've been there and I and I got to a point where I was like, this is not good on my mental health. I, if I'm going to shut down for the night, I'm shutting down like it can wait till the morning. I don't care. And you know what, it's worked out for now. So Sure. Just kind of sure. keep rolling with that. Well, Mike, one thing that I know you had mentioned about talking about on the podcast is something that I've got to bring up with you. You you said you had some funny story or funny weird story. About, yeah, yeah, and I think this. telling this it'll probably make some people mad, but uh, you know what? It is what it is. It's it's kind of the. I've world. already ticked off a lot of people on this podcast before. So oh, it's good. Bad. Oh, good. Let's yeah. continue that trend. Right. So. Um, yeah, no, it, it was an interesting story, um, you know, and I, and I don't want to um, come out of the gate feeling like I'm attacking any individual or attacking anyone's way of life. But I did have an interesting patient in my specialty. Um, I deal with a lot of pain. That's that's a huge um, area of what I deal with personally on a day to day basis. Um, and I had a, a patient come in. Um, that was a female patient, or so she said, um, this patient, you know, kind of cut into the bottom line first, this patient, biological was, male, yeah, can we say that biological male? Absolutely. Gotcha. You know, I, Hey, Elon's got Twitter, man. We can say what we want now. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I did want to get your, uh, your opinion on that. Actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't use Twitter. I think it's a cesspool, but what are you, what's your reaction to that? 
I talked about that a little bit too in the podcast where I was just, I, I thought it was a funny move on his part. I didn't understand why he would want to do that, quite frankly, but it definitely changes the dynamics of that platform. No question about that. And kind of how his whole philosophy is like free speech needs to be like unmitigated. Now there are degrees of that, obviously that even Elon Musk would agree to that. You'd say you can't have like child pornography out on that. Right. Um, so there are limitations, but I just thought it was an interesting move. I mean, I am on Twitter a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't, I was relatively unaffected by the bannings that would go on the shadow banning and stuff like that. And I know a lot of conservatives felt like it was kind of targeted towards them and Right. Ben Shapiro got 200,000 more followers since What's that? Ben Shapiro said he got 200,000 more followers. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm seeing a bunch of that. I didn't know Ben Shapiro yeah. had 200,000 more. I'm seeing uh, a bunch of that though. Like a lot right. of conservative commentators are coming out saying like, oh my gosh, I just shot up like 40,000 followers or something. And it is fascinating. And it does seem in my own exposure to that, it does seem like they were targeted. They even, Joe Rogan even brought them on. The, like the Twitter lawyers one time, like the right. top Twitter lawyer great, and I'm Jack sure. Dorsey. What was that? It didn't go great, I'm sure. Yeah, it didn't. And he was like kind of calling him out. And then Tim Pool got all ticked off because Tim Pool is kind of like known as, uh, he's definitely a political commentator. He's not technically conservative, but he kind of tends to fall on that side of the aisle just by because he's he wants things to be objective, essentially. Oh, yeah. And he came on the show. Yeah. Yeah, he came on the show to call out Twitter's executives specifically, so that was kind of funny. But anyway, um, so yeah, let's let's well, hear about this story. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And I mean, it, it wasn't a huge story. It was just it's indicative of a trend. And I, I hope my story is, um, you know, illustrates why this is a problem. Um, as a biological man, the chart said female. Um, you know, and and that's that's a problem too. Just just have a spot that says male to female or something. But this person's coming in to, for pain, and because of the the age of the patient and because of the nature of the pain, I am instantly concerned about ovarian torsion, uterine problems, tubal pregnancies. I'm very concerned about all of those things. And then during my workup, I come to <laughs> realize that none of that plumbing is there. You just wasted my time. You wasted. Um, and I don't want it. This was at a government facility. You wasted taxpayer dollars on tests that if you had just been a little bit more forthcoming, I would not have run those. You tests. ran tests on this patient specifically yes. that would have been catered to a bio biological female. Yeah. Well, I mean, there certain things are more dangerous in females than are in males when you have pain in certain areas. This was like an abdominal pelvic thing. And yeah. so um, I, I, I started that process. I am not a gynecologist by any means, but I was planning to, you know, kind of refer those things out to someone who would definitely take more care of it. But, um, you know, through this testing process, it turns out that that's none of that's true or sorry, none of that was needed. And so it just it wasted time. It wasted money. And the patient was really upset because we weren't, you know, affirming them and, it was so it, the whole thing was ridiculous. And, you know, all it would have taken is just said, Hey, you know, I, I, I this was is what born I'm a biological life. male. Right. And the That's bottom it. line is you can do what you want in your personal life. But when you walk into my office, objective truth matters. And I'm yeah. sorry that that hurts your feelings, but I look for different things in different populations. And that's just the way it is. 
Um, you know, and that's, you can say, oh, that's one example, but if it's happened to me, who's, you know, in his first four years of practice, it's going to happen more and more often, and it's going to happen to other doctors. And the bottom line is it just truth matters. Objective truth matters in medicine. It's not even just about efficiency at this point. It is about safety. Absolutely. In large part, right? Like that's, that's the bigger thing too. It's like, you can talk about wasting time, which yeah, that is unfortunate because that time actually can be taken away from people that could, could use it. Yeah. Yeah, Other problems, things like that. Like not, not to say that these aren't like the the pain they're having isn't real, but like in order to get to the bottom of it in a timely manner, it needs to be, as you said, objectively true. And I couldn't agree more with that. Why do you think, I mean, one thing that we kind of noticed, I feel like through the pandemic and maybe this isn't a, a territory you want to venture into, and that's fine if you don't, but it kind of <laughs> seems like the medical community is pretty dang liberal at large. And that yeah. surprised me when I came to that realization. I'm, you know, and I don't think, uh, you know, the masks have come off is basically what's happened. I think it was always there, but I think they are now getting away with it because we live in a time where all these crazy, you know, left things are happening, whether that's defund the police or whether that's men can be women or whether that's, you know, whatever other fringe theory that, you know, five years ago, you know, we would have we would have laughed at. But today is like, oh, no, that's that's real. Um, and so the medical community is susceptible to that because, I mean, academia is where a lot of these these theories live and grow um, kind of like a cancer, honestly. And so I've actually been very disappointed in the medical community. Um, just things. Um, I mean, I, again, I don't want to get you canceled, but I'm pro vaccine. I'm vaccinated. But at the same time, um, you do not have the right to force other people to vaccinate. That is a medical decision. And I stand. Oh, if, if that's that. going to get me canceled, I would have gotten canceled long ago. I mean, I've had so many people <laughs> come at enough. me for that. Like, even when yeah. the prophet came out to get vaccinated, sure. I was I had an episode that was like, I still don't feel the need to get vaccinated. Right. And he and was I, really, I recall you talking about that. Yeah. And that is your choice. And I mean, if, if you want to bring the gospel into it, sure, that is always your choice. Choice is huge in the gospel. Um, and I, I don't recall a thou shalt get vaccinated. I recall, a, you know, a, hey, I'm good doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that was what I, that's what I took from it. And, and, and what was funny is that how we were so easily, when I say we, I mean, people that thought like me, so late, like e- easily labeled as anti-vax, which I was like, if I am not going to like be so forceful and headstrong about this idea of the vaccine, I'm not sitting there posting things like don't get vaccinated. Or if you do, you're, you're stupid and dumb and just following like you're the sheep or whatever. My thing was, I don't feel the need to. I've had COVID. I actually got COVID twice. Right. And the immunity. Pretty sure I got the uh, the second, what was that most recent strand that came along? I can't remember. But it was very like, honestly, I was very manageable. It wasn't bad at all. Um, and I felt like my antibodies were pretty dang strong. And so... Also, and you're the, young and you're healthy. I don't think, you know, I don't, I'm not going to make you divulge your medical history, but I don't think you have a ton of comorbidities that are making you um, highly susceptible to that. And that's the part that we ignored. We let um, fear take over in, in people's personal lives. And then um, we got mad at people when they didn't have the same fears. Um, yeah. It blows my mind. Um, you know, we, we still have kids that are masking in school. Kids are the least at risk. You know, um, I, I have one child patient. I have one child patient who died technically of COVID 
but this kid was so sick to begin with, had autoimmune problems. And the, the fact that this kid died from COVID, I think had nothing to do with COVID. I think it had to do with everything else going on. And then other than that, I have was a that COVID more. pushed him over the edge, you think? I or think was COVID it even... pushed him over the edge. It was it was the straw on the camel's back, but this kid had massive autoimmune problems. So and, is it safe uh, to assume that his his life was very fragile anyway, and whether it was going to yeah, be COVID absolutely. or something else, and like the, the funny chances thing is, is, is you know, high. I have a few different clinics I work in, and in that clinic, which is the autoimmune clinic that I, I, I rotate through, um, no one else died of COVID, and those are the sickest of the sick kids. It was one kid who was particularly fragile. Now, please don't, you know, I'm not, you know saying that COVID is nothing to worry about, but I'm saying we have risk benefits in our daily lives. You know, when you get in the car to drive down the road, it's a risk benefit. When you get on a plane, it's a risk benefit. When you do anything, you know, if you eat, you know, the, the yogurt, it's expired in your fridge. That's a risk benefit. We stopped analyzing risk benefit and we just started talking about risks. And when it was, you know, these one in a million crazy chances, we still said, nope, we've got to protect the children. We've done more harm to kids. Did you know that kids right now, their education levels are super low, their testing levels. Um, kids are scoring in the, you know, the technically the mentally retarded range that did not before because oh they can't God. see faces there. We all know Zoom school is not effective. Like if, if you've watched, you know, a kid, I've watched my nieces and nephews trying to learn on Zoom school. It's, it's a zoo. It's a joke. Kids are trying to get each other's attention in the camera and not get caught by teacher. And, and it's crazy. It's crazy that we've forgotten that life is a risk benefit um, ratio. There's nothing that you do that doesn't have a risk, but you calculate that risk and decide if it's worth it for you. Um, so, I mean, and that's, that's, <laughs> I know I'm getting off in the weeds here, but. No, no, no. This is, this is interesting stuff though. I, I like what you say about the risk benefit because that was, that was my main stance as well. I'd actually never said COVID is BS. I never said that. It, it was obviously very real. I had it and it was the worst type of flu I've ever had. And I've had the flu many times. In fact, back in Texas. What's that? That was the first time? Yeah, the first time around. The second time was nothing. That was a that was a walk in the park. It was weird. I had night sweats and stuff like that, but it was I was actually functioning just fine. Um the first time I was functioning fine, but it was like it did put me out. Like I was it was very, very flu like, but an exaggerated form of that. And I had the flu three out of the four years I lived in Lubbock, Texas. The flu, like I that was something I was very familiar with, which is why I was so the symptoms were strange with how they came. They like came very staggered. It was like first I had like a terrible fever. Then I had a terrible sore throat and then I had a bad cough. Like it was, and then I lost taste and smell and all that stuff for a little bit. Oh, you did but lose the taste? I did. Yeah, I did. Well, I got I it back relatively that. quickly though. What's I that? I wonder about that. A lot of people don't. So if you're losing taste, is it just way easier to eat healthy then? Like we're, we're steering back into the fitness yeah. lab. But if you can't taste anything, I mean. It's you can... not easier to eat at all. Interesting. Like I didn't want to eat. I was wow. legitimately like, I hate this. Because like if you're, if you're eating, fight. what's that? This is our first fight. You didn't want to eat? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to eat, man. Dude, I, like, it was like basically eating like plain oatmeal at the end of the day. It was just like, this is so useless to me. I'm just. Yeah, I mean, eating healthy is one thing, but then eating is a whole other thing. And Interesting. I, I didn't have any desire to eat at all because I was just like, I, 
chewing like it just serves no like almost no purpose besides life obviously but at that point i was kind of like i don't even know if i want to keep living anymore because i can't taste or smell anything no i what how i got it back though was because i had started looking things up and i was like i'm sure there's something i can do to try and speed up the process of getting my taste and smell back so i started looking things up and apparently there was this there's this tiktok thing going around which i don't even know tiktok i know you do but i love tiktok (laughs) there was this some jamaican old school recipe of these people like burning an orange cutting it in half mushing it up in the middle and then like putting like some spices in there and then just eating it and that was supposed to give you your taste and smell back and there was this girl that had even tried that and she started crying because she said it worked but then i was like looking other stuff up and they're like no it's not even true like that's that's not gonna do it like it like the the it's not going to like shock your system back into place. Like you may be able to catch glimpses of tasting that because it's such strong in the spices and all that stuff. But what I did see was that a bunch of medical doctors had started to opine and say, if you really want to get your smell back, the best way would just be to kind of like retrain your senses and to like smell some very potent things. And one, one thing that they pointed to was essential oils. Turns out my roommate, a friend of mine, uh, worked at Young Living Essential Oils for a while and had a bunch. I'm shocked. No. Right? Yeah. So essential oils galore at my disposal. So I went to his drawer and I found like specific flavors or whatever scents that they had suggested. And I would, what they said was that you could sit there and smell these scents for about 45 seconds each twice a day. So I did that. And no joke. It's like, after like day, I think my like third day of doing it, I started to catch a glimpse where I was like, oh my gosh, that was a little bit citrusy. Like I could kind of catch it there near the end. And as that, as I felt that, like it started getting stronger and stronger. And I would say I only lost my sense of smell and taste. Cause once my smell came back, my taste came back. It seemed like, I think it only lasted less than two weeks because of that. That is amazing to me because you did not take a pill. You did an intervention and you had um, an effect. Um, You know, we're back to, you know, medicine being kind of a crazy field lately. Um, The biggest problem in medicine, I think, number one is lawyers, hands down. But number two, I think the biggest problem in medicine is big pharma. Um, they, They probably had some pill that you could have taken that, you know, would have given you side effect A, B, and C, but your smell would have come back. I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing here. But you instead, you did something a little bit more natural. And that's what we've gotten away from. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, some girl on TikTok, you know, doing some weird concoction of whatever you said, oranges and spices. I'm open to that. Maybe that works. But here's my thing. Who's funding that research? No one is funding the research of oranges and spices, right? Because there is no pharma company that's willing to pay for that. Um, Do essential oils have a lot of clinical trials behind them? No, because who is funding that? I think a lot of essential oils are probably, you know, you know, snake oil and don't do a lot, but I bet some of them, there's so many essential oils out there. I bet some of them do something. I really yeah, I bet. bet they do, but who's, yeah. who's funding that? You know what I mean? We have all those, you know, I'm looking at my counter right now. I have turmeric on the counter. Um, I have omega threes on the counter. I have vitamins. Um, and I, I can't take turmeric. Look at this. Yeah. Honestly. And so yeah, tell me about it, but here's the thing. Who, who's doing a randomized controlled double blind placebo study on that? You know, Pfizer's not, they're, they're just not because turmeric no is just, it's over the counter. There's no money in it. 
Um, yeah. And so the problem with big pharma is like, did you know that we have not come out with a new antibiotic in, I can't remember, 30 years or something like that? Because antibiotics, you take them a course one time and you're better. You don't need to keep taking antibiotics. They do their job and they're done. They don't make money off that. So we're actually, it's kind of a scary thing right now where we haven't had new antibiotics in decades. And if, you know, if a new bug comes along, we don't have, you know, a lot of new tools for that. And you're seeing some of that with the MRSA or with the MSSA, um, some of these resistant drugs that we don't have great answers for. And, And there's some scary stories about that. But Big Pharma does not care because they need you to be a customer. Now, don't get me wrong. Big Big Pharma has saved some lives. Big Pharma does some good things. But I think they do those good things when it helps their bottom line. You know, those two aren't mutually exclusive. And that's that's my problem with medicine right now is we don't recommend. I recommend to my patients all the time to take turmeric because it helps with inflammation. And it's, it's a natural way to do it rather than taking, you know, ibuprofen which, you know, also helps with inflammation and is probably honestly stronger, but I'd rather they be on the turmeric if they're going to do it long time. So it doesn't mess up the lining of their stomach. So it doesn't mess up their kidneys. You know, I started taking Tylenol. I'm I'm off ibuprofen actually. Good. Ibuprofen. I could, there was one night I took ibuprofen after playing basketball and my stomach started hurting within like 10 to 15 minutes. And I was just like, stomach. What's that? Did you take it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, Felt like at that point, I was, for whatever reason, it dawned on me. I was like, I think that's the ibuprofen because I had Absolutely. started kind of like reading up on some stuff there. And it was like that pain seems so connected to the ibuprofen. And Absolutely. it just started messing with like gastrointestinally, like I could feel it. And I'm like, this is so at, at that point on, I moved to Tylenol, which I still don't take that often. But and I also sure. still, like there's liver implications with Tylenol as opposed to kidney. Very but, good. Very good. And, yeah. and that's the thing. I'm not saying don't take a medicine if you need it. Cause I mean, I, <clears throat> I have a heart condition. I take a beta blocker every single day. I need that. Right. Yeah. But if I can avoid an ibuprofen, you know, if I have a splitting headache and I got to get through work, I'll take some ibuprofen. Sure. Yeah. But uh, you know, if, if you can avoid it, you know, there are better things out there. And so, and they, they did not teach me that in medical school. That's just something I'm seeing with my patients, you know, um, if you know, you probably have a younger audience, but one of the things I've discovered is called Arnicare. It's from some flower in, I don't know, South America or something, but it's just called Arnicare and it's just a gel. And my patients with arthritis love it. It interacts with nothing. It's a topical. It's great. And it does better than, you know, them popping Tylenol all the time or them popping ibuprofen or worse, you know, some of these arthritis patients, they, they end up down the opioid path and that's a dangerous, dangerous path to go down. Um, you know, the opioids originally were meant for post-surgery. You know, I have two screws in my ankle and I took some opioids after that surgery for about five days because they just, you know, sawed into my bone. You know, they put screws in there and everything and it, it hurt a lot. And so that's, you know, my experience with opioids, but I got off them quick and they were effective and they worked. That's what they're for. Um, some of these chronic opioids, you know, I feel so bad. My uncle went down that path and he's on chronic opioids and now he's at a point where he needs them just to function. And that's a sad, sad thing. Um, and we see it so much. I see a lot in my clinic, what we call failed back or failed back surgery syndrome. So just people who have had back surgery and it didn't help. And now they're just a chronic pain patient forever. Um, you know, and, and now we're getting back to the fitness. My buddy's girlfriend, by the way, just did, uh, stem cells for her back. Okay, how did that work? How did that work? I actually haven't asked her recently, but like she felt like there were some improvements going on from there, but it's, I need to, I need to ask her again and reach out because I am very curious because she did have some like really like big back issues. Absolutely. Um, 
she stands all day and leans over. She's a dental hygienist and like, it's yeah. just been problematic for years for her. And that's not, she didn't get it as a dental hygienist. I think she had it before then, but then it, it was exacerbated through that. But anyway, um, and now I got to ask you, do you believe they have the cure for cancer, but it's just because it's, it's a money grab? Because that sounds kind of um, like cut from the same cloth from what you're talking about. I mean, right. Oh gosh, who knows if they have it? Um, I can't imagine if they had it, they would not release it. So I, I don't think they just have it. I'm with you money. there. I, I'm, I, that would I, be a crazy moneymaker. And that's then, how I thought too. Like, yeah. I understand it's a multi-billion dollar industry to like, like the way they treat it. But it's but, a failing industry. People in, you know, my colleagues in oncology, it is a rough field. I, I don't personally treat that hardly at all unless I'm called in to treat the cancer-related pain because um, I do, do do that. But um, oncology is a field where the patients come in knowing this may be a one-way road. And thankfully, it is not for everybody. But those patients, you don't see your oncologist until you're sick. You know what I mean? Right, and yeah. um, I, I just can't imagine that they're, they're sitting on the cure for cancer. And so here's the thing. I do not believe Big Pharma is sitting on cures for really, really much of anything. I think they're not incentivized to find those cures because yeah. insulin, insulin's stupid expensive, you know, and uh, Big Pharma loves it because they got to take it every single day every single day. Whereas something like metformin, which has its own problems. Absolutely. David Sinclair talks about metformin. Who did? He's a, he's a doctor on Joe Rogan. He talks about metformin a lot. Yeah. Metformin, the same. Does he say good things or bad things about it? Good things. Absolutely. Okay. I was like, Ooh. um, but, uh, no metformin, it, it has its problems. You know, it, it gives people a lot of urgency when they got to go, they got to go, but metformin, it lowers their lipids, it lowers their sugars, you know, and metformin, I think it's like four bucks a month or five bucks a month. It's dirt cheap. And so they, they don't, they don't make money off that. It's not, right. you know, no, no big farmer rep that's coming to, you know, my office to offer me free lunch. None of them are pushing metformin because it's yeah. not a money maker, but yeah. So um, oh, you, you, you triggered, triggered another thought and I was trying to think what it was. Um, but I lost it. That's okay. Um, do you want to, you want to dive into fitness a little bit? Yeah, let's get into that. We got to, we got to, I'm getting close to having to wrap things up here. Sure. Sorry, very sorry. But yeah, let's talk fitness because you, you are about as close to an expert as I could have on this podcast at this point, probably. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I mean, first of all, I'm shocked that you and I got off, off on a tangent or two, you know, we're, we're like the two most ADD guys and then we get together and it's everywhere all over the place. But, um, so, so the thing I've, I've noticed, you know, like I said, I haven't stepped on stage for about eight years. I haven't been a personal trainer for about nine years. Um, but the thing I want to just emphasize to people is to make that, and this was from general, general conference. Um, I think not this, not a month ago, but you know, either seven months ago or a year and a month ago, where they talked about that one percent better. Um, yeah, that was October. It was Michael Dunn. Yeah, they talked about Atomic Habits. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so you know exactly who it was. Okay. Um, but that's that's the thing. You know, when people try and make these crazy one eighty changes, um, they'll see some crazy good results, but it's usually not maintainable. The reason you hear about those stories is because they're not normal. Because they're um, they're amazing stories. You know, nobody wants to hear about the everyday boring story. They want to hear about the crazy life-changing story. But the reason those stories make headlines is because they're not normal. So what people need to do is they just need to make a 1% change every day. Um, the one that will will honestly change your life is wake up 10 minutes earlier and go for a walk. 
Um, it burns some calories. It gets the, the heart rate going. Um, listen to your favorite podcast. Hey, that's you, right? Hey, um, yeah, Latter-day Takes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, that, that app Zoom that a lot of people use, one of the things it has people do is just go for a walk in morning and night. And then you burn those calories, um, you know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, by small and simple things, big things come to pass, um, burning, you know, a hundred calories in the morning and a hundred calories at night, by the end of the month, that's two pounds of fat lost. That doesn't seem like a lot, but if you do that all year, that's 24 pounds of fat. Who wouldn't have their life changed by 24 pounds? 24 lost? pounds. That's Everybody would. Point, Everybody man. Would. And, and I mean, the thing is, is that year is going to pass whether or not you do that change. So take advantage of that year. It's going to, you know, it's going to happen either way. Um, but then just find something you love. You don't have to join a gym. YouTube is a resource I refer my patients to all the time. Um, the number one thing for patients with low back pain exercise wise is actually yoga because it makes them stretch and it makes them focus on something besides the pain. We're, we're jumping back into medicine, but there was a really cool study that happened um, regarding MRIs and what they call functional MRIs. So an MRI is an image that they do, in this case of the brain, that is very specific and shows all the tissues. But in a functional MRI, they, they give um, a substance. In this case, it can just be like glucose that has a marker um, or whatnot. And they see what areas of the brain are active um, during this MRI. They did an interesting study with people in acute pain, which they defined as less than three weeks, and chronic pain, which they defined as in more than three months. So acute pain, chronic pain, they did a functional MRI, and they wanted to see what area of the brain is lit up in these patients. In the acute pain patients, interestingly, well, predictably, I guess, um, whatever area of the body is in pain, that's what lit up in the brain. The area of the body that um, on the brain, you know, re is uh, corresponding to the low back, the area that's responding to the neck, wherever their pain was in these acute pain, less than three weeks, people, um, that was the part of the brain that lit up in the chronic pain people. It was different. The pain, the area of the brain that was lit up, it moved to the memory center and the emotional center. Wow. Chronic pain becomes a memory and it becomes emotional. It becomes who, who they are. Some of my pain patients, when I talk to them, I will actually ask, what is your pain keeping you from doing? And they'll say, oh, well, everything. No, no, tell me, what is your pain keeping you from doing? And they cannot answer me. They cannot tell me what they would be doing without their pain because it's become part of their identity. So why it's yoga- psychosomatic to some degree? Um. I, I don't love that term because it implies that it's not real. It's real. I mean, yeah. I know you're not a Harry Potter nerd, but at the very end of Harry Potter, when Dumbledore and Harry are talking and Harry says, is this real or is it happening in my head? And Dumbledore says, of course it's in your head, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Oh uh, yeah. yeah I same, remember thing, that. same thing. So, but why yoga works for these patients is because they're forced to stretch. They're forced to, um, you know, do these movements, but then the person doing the yoga says, just breathe focus on nothing but your breathing and it trains their brain to not be focusing on the pain for just a little bit. Um, I totally believe that. Absolutely. So I, it's, I'm glad you're saying this because I actually, there are a couple things here for one, the, the breathing is a huge part of how we process things in general. I think that's what meditation Absolutely. is, right? I have had a theory about yoga for a little bit now because I read, I read an article uh, I've read a few articles along these lines, but basically that people that get into yoga, their chronic pain goes away. Absolutely. And one of one, one of one, the the articles that stands out to me was Diamond Dallas Page, who has his own yoga line now. He's an old WWE wrestler. He said that like he had no cartilage in his knees. 
and his pain was just unbelievably terrible. It was unbearable. And he starts doing yoga and he says, the pain goes away. And there's no way cartilage grew back in his knees, right? There's no way that he received some sort of, he didn't do surgery. He was very clear about that. And so the way I see it is yoga might be the most effective when it comes to helping us process pain more than anything else. Like it's, it's not that the pain leaves, but it's that it now manifests differently to each of us as we do yoga. Now, granted, I'm not into yoga, but I would like to be because I've thought along those lines for a while. So that's fascinating that you're talking about that. I think cold therapy is kind of along those same lines because they say in order to get through the cold, which I did a cold plunge just last week, three minutes, and you just sit there. It was like 40 degrees. When I was just sitting there focusing on my breathing, that's when it became the easiest. Yep. And that's kind of the point, right? It forces you to breathe. It forces you to refocus kind of what your body is feeling. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we're, we're kind of back into the, a little bit cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of what you, you kind of talked about with training your brain to re re smell, you know, Oh, I smell mm-hmm. a little bit of citrus. Um, you can train your brain to do crazy things. It's just hard. Um, but I mean, the hardest things in life is where the biggest rewards are. You know what I mean? So if you are trying to do something and it's hard, well, hey, take heart. That means it's probably going to give you better results. Easy things. I mean, that's that's the reward right there, that it was easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Dang, man. I wish we had more time to talk about this. I'm sorry. But you know, I gotta I'm, ask you. I'm going to fight Chase because I'm going to be your most popular um, guest. You know, He's been on 20 times and this is episode 88 and it's my first one. But uh, I will I'll- bring you back for sure, man. This has been too good. This has honestly been amazing, Mike. Thank you. And Thank you. Be- but before we sign off, I do have to ask you, what do you miss about Lubbock, Texas the most? Oh, dude, that rec center was bomb. They had the rock climbing gym in there. That was the biggest gym I've ever personally been in. Um, probably honestly the coolest gym. It had what, like eight basketball courts. It had a pool. It had a lazy river. It had a lap pool. I mean, that, that's what Lubbock had going for it. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> what about a favorite memory? That, that, the rec center was incredible, by the way. They knew that they knew what they were doing with that. They're like, well, there's nothing to do here. So let's at least build an awesome rec center for the university. Oh gosh. Favorite memory in Lubbock. Um, you know, uh, I, I lucked out in med school. I had the best roommates I've probably had in my life. And, uh, you know, shout out to Kyle and Leland and Bryce. If they're listening, I kind of doubt they are, but, uh, <laughs> uh, just, just times with those guys, we had stupid, we had stupid times, but they were fun. We, we had Nerf gun fights, you know, we, um, we went hot tubbing, just like nothing that was ever crazy, but, um, Oh, I think you were trying to get at Questival, weren't you? That's what we got to talk about. No, I about. wasn't actually. I oh, wasn't. Because Questival, what, I wouldn't say was a favorite memory. It was more funny, but it was like yeah. random. We go down to San Antonio to participate in the Cotopaxi Questival, which, by the way, makes us sound like LARPers or something. <laughs> but sure. it was just, it's like this scavenger hunt like for outdoorsy people and whoever wins or whatever based on some point system that they give out is able to like go on an awesome trip. We never really did it for that reason. We're just kind of like, I might be kind of fun to get out of love it. Go to San Antonio, check it out. We abandoned that after like an hour. Yeah, we, that's not what happened at all. Like, I think we got to the Alamo. I don't know. We did get to the Alamo, but that wasn't part of the festival. We just were like, let's go see the Alamo. Yeah, I got to remember it. So. And then there was the guy that just kept on uh, raving about the koi fish. So. Oh, the koi fish. Wow. I, that is a memory you unlocked. I did not remember I had good times. Okay. He was just so thrilled to show people the koi fish that were, that was in the Alamo. But anyway, I, I, I Mike, learned more about koi fish that day than I 
you know, you <laughs> which know? is that that people love it. Apparently, yeah. people are huge fans of koi fish. Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. I promise I'll have you back on again. Not that you're chomping at the bit or anything. Well, but I mean, this is maybe, maybe wait for the reviews on this one first. So <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm giving yeah. you another episode for sure, my man. All right. All right. Thanks, brother. Best wishes, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. All right. So now it's time for my review of Under the Banner of Heaven, the first two episodes that came out. Um, what's funny, funny enough, I actually didn't know the first two came out at the same time. So I watched the first one and then waited almost like another week to watch the second one, but not quite. I did get it in before this podcast, so I did watch both of them. So these are very valid reviews, if you ask me, but that's just me. So immediately, the first thing that comes to mind when watching this is how great of a job they did with kind of the production design it seems like you're in Utah in the 80s. Granted, I was born in 87, so if I was in Utah in the 80s, I definitely don't remember any of it. But it, it seems pretty authentic. It was, I guess it was filmed in Canada. Um, I want to say kind of in the Calgary area. I guess Calgary looks like Utah County. Who knew? But um, really pretty. Um, and Andrew Garfield plays the main lead detective, Detective Pyrie. He is very watchable um i don't really know how to explain it beyond that i I, i've always kind of liked andrew garfield he did a great job in a hacksaw ridge amazing amazing job in that movie that was a really good well done movie um there was some article i saw that says like oh he really got into it like he really leaned into kind of being a mormon in utah in the 80s and all that stuff but apparently he couldn't give up coffee which was kind of a funny little side note but anyway um really good job by andrew garfield the acting is actually really solid it's the dialogue that i question more than anything right off the bat now it's written by dustin lance black who grew up a member of the church um i believe he came out of the closet kind of early on in his career or maybe it was before his career launched uh wrote the screenplay for milk which is the movie about harvey milk played by sean penn big big breakout for dustin lance black who has since done some pretty significant things, from what I understand, um, things in TV and movies alike. But uh, Dustin Lance Black, pretty prominent in Hollywood, uh, kind of has that relationship with the church that's tenuous uh, at best, I would say. But he's obviously familiar with the culture, but not from a Utah perspective, which is kind of interesting. He he grew up in California, so he I don't know. Like I, I guess he's just trying to do his best in the research there. But what's weird to me is that the dialogue almost seems like they're trying to make members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints upset with specific verbiage only we would understand that was the feeling i got it was kind of like i reflexively now granted i, I don't really know because i haven't really watched a whole lot of things about other religions where they're going to use specific verbiage or language to that religion that only makes sense to them and feel left out I can't help but think that that's kind of the case. And that was actually confirmed by a friend of mine. Now, granted, this is just his experience, so it's not like, I don't know for sure still, but he said he watched it with a bunch of people that were new to Utah, not familiar with the religion at all. And my friend is actually on his, like, he hasn't really been that active in the church, so he's kind of watching it through a different lens as well. But he had said, he's like, yeah, we actually have no idea what's going on <laughs> based off of the dialogue, which makes sense. I mean, that that that's... 
stands to reason for why I feel this way in terms of the dialogue. It seems like Dustin Lance Black is specifically setting us up to like kind of troll us because he knows members of the church, at least a lot of us are going to be watching this movie or this show. And he knows that like he's, it's almost like his way of winking at us and saying, I know you guys, like, I know what I'm talking about here. I know you use the term like heavenly father, which by the way, that gets overused like crazy so far in the first two episodes. Heavenly father, that actual term has been said over a hundred times already. It feels like, and it's like, I haven't heard heavenly father in the actual context of the church hundred times in the last five years. I mean, you really only hear it in prayers primarily. I mean, we're not scared of saying God. We can say God, especially when we're referring to God. We don't say it in vain. That's the only difference. Anyway, so it seems like Dustin Lance Black is kind of doing those winks to to the members of the church, but to kind of like maybe try and get a rise out of us. I don't know. There's a lot of interchange between like brother and sister, and they use it in kind of a creepy way, it seems like. Like at one point, um, Detective Pyrie, uh Andrew Garfield's character comes into the interrogation room and refers to one of the Lafferty brothers, now not one of the ones that are get convicted, uh, and says Brother Lafferty. And you're just like, seriously? Like he's interrogating him and he's gonna call him Brother Lafferty? Very strange. Like and, and then they kind of go they kind of vacillate between brother and then just calling him by their first name. It's like nobody's outside of the church, nobody says brother or sister when referring to anybody. And honestly, when you're an adult, nobody uses it. They just say him by the first name. Now I, most of the audience understands that anyway. But um, one other thing I did want to mention is that just the acting in general is actually pretty well done. In fact, I would say so far after the first two episodes, as well as as good of a job as Andrew Garfield does, the one I'm kind of watching the most as maybe the best is one of the main terrible Lafferty brothers, which is played by Wyatt Russell, who is the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. He's doing a great job. He He... he I don't know what it is about him. He's got kind of the charisma of his father, I feel like, that he's leaning into. Really good job. Sam Worthington plays the other Lafferty brother. That's one of the main perpetrators. The older one, I believe, Dan. Uh, And Sam Worthington's kind of fine. I mean, I wouldn't say he's done anything significant, at least to this point. But Wyatt Russell, he's the one that has done a great job. It's pretty. He's pretty watchable, at least. At least as watchable as it can be, context considered. Now, it, it there's weird little shots, like... I don't understand what the role of French fries play in this in terms of apostasy, but one of the uh, other detectives, who's actually an actor you would have seen in um, other movies like Wind River and Hell or High Water, um, he plays Jeff Bridges' kind of like partner in Hell or High Water. He's a, I believe he's a Native American. I really like this guy. He's he's in a lot of good stuff. He's in um, Yellowstone as well. Anyway. He's always done a good job in pretty much everything I've seen of him. He's in this. He plays Andrew Garfield's kind of pseudo partner or something. Interesting relationship there. Anyway, he's got this fast food and Andrew Garfield like brought food from home and he like tempts him with these fries and they treat it almost as if like Andrew Garfield is sinning by eating a fry from his partner, which reminded me of that scene in SWAT when Colin Farrell is like working the armory station and this guy makes this little quip where he's like he's like going to town on the McDonald's and um he Colin Farrell's like what's going on here he's like well you know like I sh- I probably shouldn't be eating this cuz I just converted to Mormonism my wife's a member and you know we believe in treating our bodies like temples and he's like kind of feeling guilty for eating fast food and then Colin Farrell looks at him and he says hey you're cheating on your wife with fast food and he's like 
You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm just like, th- I don't know where in Hollywood this happened where it, apparently members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can't eat fast food, but apparently that's a belief in theirs. So there you have it. Anyway, ultimately, it seems like there is an angle. It seemed like the first episode was a setup to put the whole foundation of the church into question because they have like clips of Joseph Smith talking with Emma, the first vision, all those things. And and you kind of wonder like what what are they going to get at where they kind of seem seem like the fundamental component to the church has always been kind of wrong. Kind of seems like that. From what I've heard, I've kind of heard both ways. I've heard John Krakauer, I've heard he was objective about it. Then I've heard he was also and has an angle that he's been anti-religious altogether. And so he has he doesn't pull any punches with the church. But I do think Dustin Lance Black might have an agenda here. I'm not sure, but it kind of seems like it. There's some weird like sex and love stuff. Not, I mean, they don't ever get explicit. I mean, there is... I mean, there is nudity at the end of the first episode that was completely superfluous to the plot. I don't understand where that came from. It even showed a woman in her garments, and I'm like, this is ridiculous, but whatever. And I I feel like they're, they're teeing it up to make Joseph Smith look like the ultimate, like, bad guy, it seems like. And of course, how, how could you expect otherwise than to have a religion that's all off-kilter than if this is the foundation? And so it does show Joseph Smith getting like tarred and feathered in the second episode. I guess he doesn't get tarred and feathered, but he does get kind of like strung up by the mob and threatened and all that. I I don't really know where they're going with that, but here's the catch. I think episode five is going to be where we're going to see, like that's that's where we're going to see maybe the creators and, and the screenwriter, Dustin Lance Black, kind of aim for the fences, swing for the fences here. Because Dustin Lance Black is directing episode five. I looked it up. That's going to be interesting. I wonder if he's teeing it up now to really kind of drive some points home about the church, about all the weird stuff about the church, the weird history, and how um, there's these fundamentalists that are part of the church. And that was another thing, too, is that they don't do a good job drawing the line between fundamentalism, members of the church, and real, like, branch the the actual church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and the members therein i mean detective pyrie kind of seems like more like the actual branch of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints whereas the lafferty's are kind of the fundamentalists that line is completely blurred and i think they do that on purpose because there is no question that the lafferty's were part of the more fundamentalist approach those people are denounced by our church right they're not we do not accept that behavior they were trying to practice polygamy the brothers were excommunicated for trying to practice polygamy but no lines drawn this is hollywood don't let a great story uh i guess i should say don't let truth get in the way of a great story right the old journalism adage but that absolutely applies here to hollywood so that's what i've seen so far i'll probably keep some updates going but it's been interesting uh, the first episode I thought was pretty entertaining. Second episode, hmm, I don't know. Still feeling it out. I plan on finishing it. We'll see. If things get too crazy, if I feel like they cross the line too much, I will call it quits and I will let y'all know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Have a good one. Next week, we'll be back talking Roe v. Wade decision. If that should get overturned, kind of what that's looking like and kind of the details therein bring on a guest to talk about that love y'all have a good week and we will see you next week to a different time oh
so madly There must have been magic in the valley And a rhythm in the night Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time, I, I If it takes time, I